Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you guys this morning. My name is Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at Island Community Church. This is David Frazier, our Island Community Church (laughs) global missions coach. And uh, together we have the privilege of being able to lead our time this morning in God's word. John chapter three, verse 16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you this morning and I hope you know it. Um, It is our heart for you this morning to know that God loves you. The endless grace that he has given in Jesus Christ, if you would believe and receive, if you would turn from yourself to him. And God loves the world. And this morning we want you to know more of his heart, not only for you, but his heart also for all peoples. And for you to grow in love and appreciation, wonder and worship of our God, who is so great and so gracious and so good. And for you to want to know him more, but also want to live in a way that really lives with purpose to make him known. And so I want to pray uh, as we start this morning before we begin anything in our sermon. And I just want to pray toward that end, that in some way today, God might touch your heart, that you might know him more and also know more of his love, not only for you, but for all peoples. And that somehow today might be used by his spirit to bring your life more in line with the things that really matter. Father, thank you for this time, and we pray, uh, yielding it to you. Lord, I pray that David and I might decrease, that you might increase, because, Lord, we have come to worship you. You are a great and wonderful God. You give grace upon grace to those who believe. Lord, I know today there are many things going on in our minds, our hearts, our lives. We need you, Father. We thank you for your grace poured out in Jesus Lord, may we constantly turn from sin and turn from self and turn toward you. May we be graced with belief and receiving of the gifts that you give. Thank you for your heart of love. And thank you for your heart of love, not only for us, but for all people. And Lord, we pray today that you would touch our hearts to to get your perspective, to feel what you feel as you see the world. Lord, I pray that as we open your word that we would hear your voice. And God, that you would move us today, personally and as a church, that you would move us toward yourself. Father, that we would grow in more passion and more purpose for your name. Lord, that we would want our lives, Lord, to be used to make much of you, but also to help people who are most in need. Father, this world needs you. And God, you give of yourself and we can give of ourselves to help. So God, we just pray today that you would touch our hearts. Lead us, Lord. We're open to you. Right now, we just ask you, speak to us, Holy Spirit. We're listening. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you've got something to write with, I would encourage you to get it out. If you've got a Bible, whether it's digital or physical, I'd encourage you to get it ready because this morning, we have the privilege of being able to Continue our theme, his mission, my job. This is our last teaching moment in 2023 Go Week. Uh, We've been talking about how God wants us uh, this year in particular. We've been, of course, every year we talk about how God wants us to go. That's straight from Matthew 28. We talked about that last week. But this year we've been talking about how God wants us to go and to take our jobs with us. And so, uh, David... Last Sunday, we had a lot of fun. We got some comments afterwards. Some of them, most of them were positive. Some of them were like, you guys are, it's like watching a Saturday Night Live routine. So um, The dueling preachers. The dueling preachers, there it is. Uh, Last Sunday, we had a ton of fun. If you missed it, go back and watch. Uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday night, we were incredibly encouraged. Thank you for everything. 
turn my mic off, excuse me. Thank you to everyone who had the opportunity to come out and uh, be a part of our workshops. Uh, we continued those themes and those um, lectures will be available soon, we hope, online, so stay tuned for that. But this morning, we're going to continue by talking about this theme of his mission, my job. And the reason we're talking about this is because here at ICC, one of our core measures of discipleship, David, is that everyone who understands, who knows the Lord, and who is seeking to grow in relationship as a disciple of Christ, uh, is growing in this fruit. That's something that should be evident in your life, if you're trusting and following Jesus, is this missional mindset. Which means in your heart, there's a clear calling. In your life, there's active involvement. To live, to see more people hear the gospel, and also to live with the passion to see more churches planted, particularly in places where there are no churches here in our city, but also around the world. So why we're doing this theme is because this is an integral part of your growth as a disciple of Christ. And so pastorally, we've been wanting you to grow in this because it's something that God is actively working to grow in you when you are his, okay? So last week, just as a brief review, um, we talked about in the first part of the sermon how God has a heart for all peoples. And we talked together particularly about this First, the global thread in scripture, um, how God is on a mission for the nations. We talked also about the perspective that we've got to have, which is the perspective of Jesus. When he talks about ta ethne, right? Go and make disciples among all peoples. He's talking not about geopolitical nations. He's talking about people groups. It's a difference of 195 nations versus over 17,000 people groups. So we talked about how we've got to have a people group perspective when we think about lostness in the world. And lastly, we talked about how how we've got to have a strategic mindset. Like Paul in Romans 15, how we've got to think, how can I live to get the gospel to places where Christ has not been named? Because we know today over 7,000 of the 17,000 people groups in the world, over 7,000 of them is unreached. There's no gospel witness. There's no gospel church. How do we think strategically about getting the gospel to those places? So that was last week. And then we talked about, we began to touch on this theme of at the end of the message of how interesting it is that as we start to study scripture, we see that our jobs can actually play a role in God's mission. So David, last week we introduced this conference core truth. We've been talking about it all through the week. Yeah. But if you hadn't gotten this already, this would be a good time to write it down. Right. Every follower of Christ must discover their particular role. That's what we're trying to do to help everybody figure out what their particular role in God's mission to the nation. So we should all consider the strategic opportunities that our jobs, our vocations can actually have. Sometimes that's left out. So this may involve staying here and being senders or to engage the nations that are living right here in our communities. But some of us will actually maybe need to leave our nets and go, and some of us will actually take our nets with us, if you're thinking about the disciples. Barrett, when I coach people in the ministry that I do to help people that are going overseas, I recognize there is no one size that fits all. So people say, David, do you think people should? Do you think we should send out people this way? But every situation is different. So it really depends on you, your stage in life. Are you single? Do you have a family? Uh, where are you going? What are, the, what are the people there? What is the visa situation getting into that country? What is the history of Christianity in that country? Are you going to a big city? Are you going to a village? So really what we're looking at is the best strategy for reaching that people group. And what we've found, and this is across the board, missiologists are telling us that one of the greatest ways to access many of these least reached areas in the world is through entering communities with, by serving them with a job entering in with real jobs. So this year's Go Week, we wanted to focus on this important biblical and culturally relevant strategy for sending. Um, it's, it's often overlooked and it's very misunderstood. And this is one of the things when Barrett and I first met, I had such a passion about this. And this is beginning as we've been talking about this. So we wanted to teach on missional professionals. We want to show you this morning, particularly, we started it last week, that if we really study Paul's life and his words in the book of Acts, we can discover some amazing insights about his ministry strategy and how it connected to his tent-making business. Yeah. Okay. So, y'all ready for this? 
Um, today, the whole of what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at this right here. Today, we want to teach you from the Bible, okay? Now, whether or not you already feel like you understand missional professionals or not, I bet if I asked you, even if you understood the concept of missional professionals, if I said, give me a biblical proof for this, help me understand a biblical foundation for why missional professionals is a good strategy, a godly and biblical strategy for getting the gospel to the nations. I bet there's probably growth in you, but for a lot of you, even if, yeah, a lot of you probably never heard some of these things, okay? And that's part of why we've chosen this theme. So today what we wanna do is, we want to talk to you about five strategic advantages from the scripture that we see uh, as reason why we really believe every person in this room who has a job should be thinking, like Paul was thinking, how could I use my job to get the gospel to the nations? How could I use my skill set, my career path to be a part of this? Because last week, David, we talked about how Paul was a missionary. And that's clear, all right? So we think about the Apostle Paul in the Bible, and we're all like, he has all these missionary journeys, and he was like sold out for the gospel, and he's like this incredible evangelist and this incredible teacher and discipler. We know that about Paul. But often what is so overlooked is how he was getting into some of these places and what he was doing alongside of his missionary work. He was working. He had a job. He had a career. He was a tent maker. He was making money. And so we've got to get out of our head that to become a missionary means I've got to leave my degree behind. I've got to leave my career path behind. I've got to leave my vocation behind. And rather, what we're trying to get you to consider is what Paul himself did, which is actually... Have you ever thought about taking that with you? Actually, that becomes a key piece of what God is doing in your life and among the nations. It's actually using the very skills and vocation and career path that you have for the glory of God among all people. So Paul's a missionary, but he also ran a full-blown business. And we talked last week about this phrase, you know, missional professional. That's the phrase we're kind of using to understand what Paul, who he was and what he was doing. And uh, we talked last week about how you know, he used um, an integrated approach and an intentional approach and a strategic approach. And again, you can look at all this last week, but David, you want to say anything more about as we think about Paul? Because right. if we can't get that Paul's a missional professional, then it's going to be hard to get why it's so strategically advantageous. So we often look at it. We see Paul was a missionary. He preached on the Sabbath. It's what he said. He reasoned with them in the, on, at the synagogue, but he was working a day job during the week, making tents. <laughs> And through his work, he built relationships with all kinds of people. It was, it was just a sort of a, uh, a flow there of his life. So Luke says that Paul reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So instead of hindering his ministry, which we might think um, the job would have gotten in the way, but it actually enhanced his work. And this is why we call Paul a missional professional. He is definitely on mission, but he's also in a profession. So that's, that's what we're trying to get at here today. Yeah. So when you, when you see that like Paul was visiting with Aquila and Priscilla and Acts, what you got to think through in your mind is some of the cultural stuff that we just miss. Um, in the original language, it's more that he's like staying with them. He's actually living with them. And in that place, you're, you're, it's similar to like what we think about sometimes in our parents' generation, our grandparents, where it's like you live above the shop, so to speak. Um, in Paul's day, that was very much the case. And so what was happening was this place where he's staying with Aquila and Priscilla is also the place where he's making tents. And his workplace, this shop that he's in, right outside of the home most likely, is also becoming a place where he is doing his work of evangelistic ministry, where he's sharing the gospel with people who've never heard, where he's helping to form disciples and to start a church. So there's this incredible integration of his work and his ministry. Yep. And so what we're saying is, hey, like, look, um, this is, could be our experience too. And you have experience in this. Well, the whole time that I was in the Middle East, I actually always had an office. I had to really have an office if I was going to have a business. And I was running a business of teaching English. And so I would teach there. I would teach groups. I could tutor. I did translation projects. But it was also a place for having gospel interactions with those that would come to my office, or quiet discipleship, or gatherings. We would have Bible studies there. So if you said to me, what is this office? Is this a ministry office, or is this a, a job? And I would say it was both. 
Now, if we had asked Paul, this is a really important point. I want you to listen well. If you had asked Paul, Paul, didn't you find it frustrating to spend so many hours on a secular job and to have so little time left over for ministry? I think Paul would have looked at you and said, what is secular? What do you mean by secular? When does ministry end or begin? Paul had such an integrated approach. If you had gone to his shop, you would have said, what's going on here? Are y'all having a Bible study? Well, we're actually talking about Christ and we're making tents while we do it. Um, In the evening, he may have uh, also had gatherings there. So there was a total mixture with Paul. So if you see work as a hindrance to our mission, what we're saying is we'll never be successful missional professionals. So you've got to get that straight. Paul worked not just as a necessity so that he could do his real job of preaching. If we see that, we're missing out what Paul was able to do. Instead, Paul's work of he was sewing, making tents. Uh, he was out in the marketplace. He was at the synagogue. He was in a lecture hall. Remember, he went to the Tyrannus school there. And he was even in prison. But for Paul, he would have said these were all places, venues of places for ministry. Sometimes you hear this word bivocational. And what that sounds like it's saying is one of those parts of my work is for making money, and the other thing I do is for ministry. But Paul's example shows an integrated life and ministry, a seamless witness. So you're following me here, Barry. This is crucial if somebody wants to be a missional professional. If you see work as, so how many hours do I have to give to that? If Paul had said, I'll just make a little, a couple of, maybe I'll make a tent a month. Yeah. Yeah. And I won't have to do my job so that I can go out and preach. I think Paul just never would have seen that division, which is Exciting. Yeah. So before we move into the five strategic advantages, all right, we are continuing to want to make sure that everybody gets this really, really clear. As followers of Christ, you got to think about your primary vocation differently, all right? We are redeemed by Jesus. And in our redemption, we have an incredible proclamation. <laughs> of who he is and what he does for those who trust in him. Our, our primary calling is just to make much of Jesus. So I'm, if you ask me, you know, you know who am I? I? I'm Barrett. I'm redeemed. I live with a passion to make much of Jesus, and I happen to be a lead pastor. For you, I'm filling your name. I'm redeemed. I live with a passion to make much of Jesus and I happen to be a, or to have a skill in, or to with my daytime hours do, okay? That's how you've got to think. Um, Our ultimate vocation is bearing witness to the gospel. And if we think like that, then it allows our our career path or our skill sets to take their proper place um, in supporting that primary passionate purposed work. Does that make sense? So your dentistry is supporting a passion and a purpose to make much of Jesus in your life. Or your work with your kids within your home is supporting a a primary passion and purpose to make much of Jesus in your life. Whatever it is that you do with your daytime hours or whatever it is that you do with your skill set, your degrees, your career, or to make money is supporting, it should be, a primary passion and purpose to make much of Jesus with your life. And if you could get that straight, then it throws open the door of possibilities of where then can I be maximally effective at making much of Jesus with my life? We've got to think on a global scale. We have to consider this as an opportunity because that is our leading passion and purpose. Everybody with me? So are y'all ready to hear about the five strategic advantages? Um, It seems like we've been holding out a long time. Here we go. Advantage number one. David, let's hit it. Okay. Sustainable legal access. Took us a while to come up with that big word. You ready? Sustainable (laughs) legal access. We had to consult the lawyers. Providing legitimate entry, getting into this country, not as a missionary, but as a whatever your job is, which will give you residence. So when I went in, I, I had a tourist visa, but I had to, when I got a job, I got a work permit 
which also gave me a presence there, a legitimate presence. So vocations can get us into restricted places, providing entry into places that are religiously or politically hostile countries. And this is particularly hard for Americans, by the way. If we have any Canadians here, the world is open to you. But I used to always... <laughs> Actually, I read this week, the, the Japanese passport is the best one right now. Gets you, you to 193 yeah. of 195 countries. How amazing is that? But we're happy to be talking to Americans. Most of you are. It is hard for us to get into places. If you want to know more about that, just get your history books out and find out what we've been doing. Because it's not always mission work around the world. Um, so 80% of the world's population, particularly the least reached peoples, live in countries that do not allow what we would call religious worker or missionary visas. So Paul and his team had some advantages that we don't have today. Now, this is why you need to hear this. They say there were three main advantages Paul had for the gospel to be able to spread. There were the Roman roads, which was amazing, and for travel. There was the common language of Koine Greek. But he, they also had something they called Pax Romana, which was Roman peace. So the powerful Roman army kept peace within the empire. It meant that the gospel could spread without physical danger, no information, blackouts. So Acts, 9, Acts 16 tells us that Paul appeals to his political status as a Roman citizen to defend his treatment when he says, they have, been, they have, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens. And they all went, oops. So today there's not much to protect us from mistreatment. I can tell you right now, it was a real factor for me to consider I could be either thrown in jail or kicked out. I was actually more being afraid of getting kicked out. I kind of thought somehow I, I won't be in jail. Now, there are many missionaries that end up in jail, but one of the things that really protected us was having this real work. So having a legitimate job, providing a real service in communities, protects our witness from suspicions, distrust, or deportation. Paul used his skill of making tents. And we, as we said last week, he probably made really good tents. Gave him a natural way to become established in the community, connected. He's moving into a new city. So his business created legitimacy. What are you doing here? It provided a needed skill. Hey, this guy Paul here, he's actually making tents. He's got a business going here. And a product that people clearly needed and used. In fact, I remember how often I was told when I would tell people, like, what are you doing here? I actually teach English. I'm like, wait, wait, you came over here to teach us English. And they would say, thank you. I wish I could speak better English. And I know I want my kids to speak English. So they were grateful. They literally said, thank you for coming. So the first advantage, that jobs provide legitimate entry, they give us a residence, so we're not always afraid, and they give us a presence that people can trust. Yeah. And Barrett, what's another great advantage yeah. of being a missional person? So we're asking you, before we move to number two, have you thought about your vocation, your career, um, the trajectory, of what's opportunistic for you in the future, globally? Have you thought about that that could provide for you a sustainable, legitimate, legal presence for the sake of the gospel among the nations? Would you think about it? It's an incredible advantage you have. Would you think about it? 80% of the world needs missional professionals like you. Would you think about it? Number two, y'all ready? So we talked about sustainable legal access. Number two, we're gonna talk about this. When you go as a missional professional, uh, we, what we see biblically is that you have an opportunity to identify with all people, okay? It's not the only way to do it, but it is a great way to do it. You have the opportunity, what we say here in our tag, to relate the gospel to people across all social layers. So we talked this week at our workshop on Tuesday about um, the many, many different types of social layers in a particular community or particularly like in large urban areas. And we're talking about here people who are 
uh, poor, who are like more like the vulnerable populations and refugees. We talk about middle-class workers, blue-collar workers, white-collar workers, business leaders, and even high government officials, people who are controllers of resources and power in the community, all of these different social layers. Now, what we know from Scripture is that Paul worked hard to adapt culturally and to really identify with all kinds of peoples. In other words, he had a heart to relate to peoples across all of those different social layers. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter nine, if you don't know this passage, I would encourage you to write it down. It's one that you could look at later. It's one that I have memorized and I have discipled many other people to understand. It is incredibly helpful as it relates to learning to live with passion and purpose of the gospel. He says, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, why? What does he say? That I might what? Win more of them. You see his heart. And then he goes on and explains it in greater detail. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, he says, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might what? Win the weak. And then he says it again. I have become what? Y'all say it with me, you can read. All things to all people, that by all means I might what? Yeah. He's passionate to get people to Jesus. He's saying, I want to do anything and everything I can to cut across all these different social layers and categories. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So he approached Jews as a Jew himself. He approached uh, Greeks, educated Gentiles, as a highly educated, trilingual, tricultural, upper-class Roman citizen. Um, But in spite of his status, he was only using it occasionally. So Most people work jobs every day. And what Paul was doing was he's wanting to establish a bona fide presence in his community and he's wanting to use his presence in the community and the skills that he had to identify with all kinds of folks, just everyday people. So here's educated Paul David who's choosing to identify with blue collar or even lower social class artisans. He's working with his hands. He's interacting with people on all kinds of different economic scales, social scales, even racial scales, because let's face it, most of the people like today uh, around the world, most people are not in the upper echelon of society. Most people are in the bottom class, especially true in Roman society. And what Paul was doing, as you look at this, you guys, what we're trying to have you see is Paul was wanting to demonstrate how the gospel actually can cross social boundaries, cultural boundaries, how the gospel can break class, it can shatter it, how the gospel can actually move across racial barriers and actually bring together a new culture of people, a new kingdom of people that are from different demographics. And Paul was using his job as a gateway into this kind of identification with all kinds of people and this kind of gospel demonstration. So Paul was not himself poor. But you notice, as Paul writes, he focused a lot on the poor. He had a heart for them. He understood them. He says in Galatians chapter two, verse 10, only they ask us to remember the poor. This thing I was eager to do. We know over and over he talks about how the gospel mixes up classes and these social layers. In 1 Corinthians um, chapter one, I'll show you in a second, we know that over and over the gospel It brings the lowly up and it humbles those who are powerful. It creates a new people. He says here, for consider your calling, brothers, 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, noble birth. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to to shame the strong. And we know today, y'all, as you look out over the world, okay, um, we know, even here in Memphis, The gospel resonates with the poor. It has a particular impact on the poor, the oppressed, the vulnerable. They're looking for hope 
And the gospel offers hope. Where is hope found? Hope is found in God. Why? Look in the face and the work of Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him. The gospel is a gospel of hope, and it resonates deeply with those who are oppressed and vulnerable, uh, particularly women and children and widows and orphans and refugees. And God has a heart over and over. He names these kind of people in the Bible as people that are on his heart in a special way. And what we're trying to help you see is that as a missional professional, I mean, you guys get this because of how you serve in education here in our city or how you serve in healthcare here in our city or many other vocational opportunities in the city where you are, you get this. There is a unique opportunity that you have when you have these kind of skills to actually serve and empower these people who are so much on God's heart and use your job and your skill to actually help those who are most in need, to show compassion, to offer resources. There's no reason, okay, the most famous doctor in the Bible, I think. Y'all know who he is? Luke, right? Paul refers to Luke in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, as what? The beloved physician. Think about why he was beloved, David. I mean, imagine the ministry opportunities that he had. On my team. In the first century. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bring a doctor with you. I mean, can you just imagine? The, right. No wonder he's the beloved physician. Because he's used the skill that he had, the career path that he was on, he's using that to serve. What a display of the compassion of God to people who are most in need. And we've seen that here, David, even in our own contacts with those who we've sent out with these kind of skills, um, incredible opportunities. And that's why we say this is not part of the teaching, but I just wanted to put it up here. We do have strategic foundational documents. And one of the things that we as ICC, we focus on um, when we're thinking about missional sending, we say there's two main categories we think about. We think about least reached peoples and we think about most vulnerable populations because it's just so important and so opportunistic. So what I'm trying to say here is that the gospel can and is reaching many at the highest levels of society and many at the lowest levels of society. But when you go as a missional professional, you have the opportunity to relate to all of them in a unique way. I was talking this week to um, a large missional organization uh, leader who was here in town to speak to us, one of our workshops, and he was saying, as he, I was talking to him about what does the changing landscape look like and what are its implications, and he said, Barrett, we're going to have to change our sending pipelines. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, to reach the people that we need to be reaching, he said, we're going to have to do more than recruit from seminary campuses. He said, we need more than people who just have a Bible degree from a Christian college. There's nothing wrong with that. You need theologically deep, rich leaders to be a part of missional work and teams. But he says, we've got to have more than that. We've got to have people who have jobs that can get into high levels of companies, high levels of government, high levels of industry. We've got to have people who go in as a dentist or as a doctor or as an educator and who are seen legitimately but also have this access to all kinds of people. We need people who can put their kids in a rich private school with these other upper echelon folks from this people group because there's no other way to reach them. They don't associate with the bottom of the economic social classes. We've got to have new sending pipelines. What is he saying? He's saying, he's reinforcing what Paul's already teaching us was look, my education, my skills open up opportunities. So I am here to win people, and I'll do anything for the sake of bringing people to Christ. So for the upper and for the lower, here I am. And so what we're trying to say to you is you have an opportunity to identify with, to empower, and to bring Christ to all kinds of people. So before we move to number three, what I want to ask you is do you realize that? Have you thought about it? Have you, have, are you willing to think about your opportunity to identify with all kinds of people, to win people. Have you, are you willing to think about that through your job? Are you, have you thought about it? Do you see the advantage that it, it brings? And would you just be willing to consider it? Would you be willing to consider it as you live with a higher vocational call to live with passion and purpose for Jesus? All right, number three. Thank you. That was awesome. Well, that's... Can you so, just sit up here every week with me and say that? <laughs> I get done with a point, David's like, that was great, Barrett. 
I enjoyed writing that with you. <laughs> Thanks, David. These advantages, yeah, we didn't just randomly come up with these. These are things that anyone that's in a role as a missional professional have found. This is super powerful, and it, is, it can change the way you do your work here and wherever you go if you can see how your job can do this. The third advantage is gospel credibility. So removing obstacles to the gospel. And surely you remember how many times Paul mentioned this. The word credibility is defined as the quality of being trusted, convincing, or believable. So Paul wanted nothing to hinder the pure gospel. He wanted the people, if they're going to stumble, he wanted them to stumble over the gospel, not him. We used to say when we lived abroad, may they not stumble over my language, my ability to speak their language, or who I am as an American, or my money, job, or whatever it is. I don't want them to stumble over me. Let them be offended by the claims of Christ, right? Or his sacrifice. So Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Second Corinthians 6.3. This is so important to Paul. He wanted to remove that obstacle. So Paul wanted nothing, no obstacle in his message or his motivation. You know, why are you doing this work? Um, 1 Corinthians 9. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Paul says, I could. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. And we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul's self-support demonstrated his genuineness. He received no financial gain. Rather, it actually cost him to be doing his work. He was not a peddler of the word of God or a people pleaser. He will not be identified with the unscrupulous orators who roamed the empire in those days, exploiting their audiences. Paul did not take money from anyone so he could be free. Why are you here? Why are you doing this? And not be beholden to some wealthy patron or social clique or a faction. So Acts 20, Paul says, I coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. So supposedly he could have been... He could have dressed really, really well. No, he said, I didn't, I didn't I want any of that. I feel guilty about this because I go overseas <laughs> and people always give us clothes and I'm like, I take them. Maybe I should stop taking them. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't receive any. Yeah. Did you take gold? Don't do that either. No, no. But I didn't covet any of it. I didn't, you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities. Look at, he says, and to those who were with me. So he didn't have just an okay job. He had enough for, the whole, for a lot of people to work with him. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we, may, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he, he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Here I, he's working. I'm working so I supply the needs of myself, my teammates, and we even got extra. So it was a profiting business so that he could help the poor. First Thessalonians 2 says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves, our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day. That tells you his shop. It sounds like it was open a lot, and he was working a lot, that we may not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So it could have been that Paul said, I was so busy this afternoon engaging with people that I met in the marketplace with the gospel that we stayed up late making tents. I mean, his whole life is about this work. This kind of stumbling block, actually, this, that Paul is concerned about, still exists in many cultures and, and countries around the world where people distrust the motivations of foreigners. I happened to live in a country that was very suspicious, very concerned. What are you doing here? Why did you come to my country? Rather than, you know, the first line should be, welcome, so glad you're here. We don't often think that. We're not a distrusting people. We like to just go, oh, great, what brings you here? But so many cultures are like, why are you here? I'm trying to figure you out. Or maybe if you're, particularly if you're a religious worker, or a religious organization. So there's a lot of distrust there. So anyone who has worked overseas, 
for any length of time knows how sensitive this topic can be. Where does your money come from? How do you earn it? How do you spend it? Um, how are things being paid for? Where does all this come from? And I often tell people it's like having a, sometimes it's hard, it's as if there's a barrier right here, unless I can figure out who you are. So Paul said, I don't want you worried about any of that. I, want, I got a shop right around the corner. You want to come and make tents? Oh, okay. I want you to listen to what I'm talking about. I want you to hear what I'm saying. So non-Western societies are generally poorer around the world and still developing, and money is a huge obstacle. And so when mixing it with Christian witness can create many struggles for those that we're trying to reach. In fact, I heard this often when I was there, and it, it grieved me sometimes. They would say, David, foreign missionaries are so different. Their lives are so different from ours. It's hard for them to understand us. But as new believers, what we really want to know is how to live out our faith in this corrupt society where I've got backbiting coworkers, bribes, abusive bosses, unfair wages, out of control inflation, corrupt business methods. That's right. They would say, David, bribes are a way of life here. How do we do this? You don't deal with this, as they would say to a missionary. But Paul's like, I deal with this. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta pay taxes at the same place you do. I buy supplies from that guy. I know that overpriced supplier. So this is one reason why I always maintained a bona fide business job throughout my time. Now, I always, while we were preparing this, I said, Barrett, I want to make sure and say, and there were times when I received support. There were times when I received some support from my church. It always depended on my work situation or the economy. I remember when the economy completely fell apart and my job couldn't supply me. Uh, and it, or maybe it was a season of life. So... Yeah, we I mean, don't I, want to be one or the other. It's very hard. Sometimes I think we, we want to make sure it. that you hear. Um, we're not trying to say that the only way to have gospel credibility overseas is when you have a job that pays. It's not the only way you could do it, but it is a way to do it and a strategically advantageous way. Could Paul have received donor support? That's a question for you. Could he have received donor support? Yeah, we know that. Um, and the reason we know that, 1 Corinthians 9, 11, and 12, what we looked at just a second ago, he says here at the start, if we had sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, don't we even more? In other words, he's saying, like, I could receive support from you. Like, that would be okay. And we know many, many people that have been called to leave a job that pays and trust God with financial provision in a new season of missional living and that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. We can celebrate that. And in fact, we can even send missionaries that are more dependent on that kind of support from us. But what we're also saying, it's not the only way to be sent as a missionary to have to be needy on donor support for all your funds. You can also be sent as a missionary and not need any funds. And we're trying to open your eyes to that kind of possibility. So it's okay to live on support. It's also okay to not need support to work and provide what you need while you're on mission. The key is what is the best strategy. So what we're always gonna do is look and see what makes the most strategic sense for the sake of the gospel in the particular place and to the particular people that God's called you to go. And so we just need you to keep open as we transition to number four here. Um, we need you to keep open. Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever thought about the strategic advantage of gospel credibility when you go and don't need support? So, David, anything we else on that one? need all kinds of missionaries. I, I remember when I first went out and I started talking about tent making, it was hard for my church. Okay, are you a missionary? Of course I'm a missionary. And I had to educate my own church back in the 80s yeah. with this whole concept of I still am a legitimate missionary. So there's a whole hybrid way in which things can go. I received support, but there were times when I first went out, I just got a job. My wife and I, we just ta I taught at the university but then I needed some support. So there are people that can get jobs and they can come alongside and work with uh, a church planning team or join a mission team, but still have a legitimate job. Some will need full financial support and some will need none or some will see a little. So I really love when I see mission groups and churches that are okay with mixing different ways. We wanna get you there. So don't fall in your mind like, oh, I. 
I don't have that kind of skill. There's a place for you. I have a skill. There's a place for you too. Yeah. Uh, you could go, for instance, if you're a physician, we could do reverse missions here. You could, we could send you to Dubai. You can make about five or six times what you're making here. And then you, you keep 10% and you give the 90% back and you can fund our whole budget, okay? <laughs> so um, I'm just saying reverse missions, is a, it, we're, we're open. We're open to all kinds of sending, all right? <laughs> just saying. Yeah. All right, I better move on before I get in trouble. Strategic advantage number four, all right? Strategic advantage number four from the scripture. As we look at how Paul did the work of missions, we see strategic advantage in this way. To, an opportunity to model faith in Christ, but in real life. To model faith in real life. And what we're talking about here is to demonstrate how the gospel is really lived out in the world. Sometimes um, I could imagine that people, not, not that I've ever experienced this, but I could imagine that people would look at pastors or evangelists and go, they have no idea what I deal with day to day. They just stand up there and preach when I come in on Sundays, but they are so far removed from what I'm actually facing. They don't get me, okay? I understand the temptation to think like that. I pray you know here we, we work hard to try to get you, but one of the things Paul was doing in the choice of choosing to be a missional professional was he was actually allowing a real pathway to model to new believers. So think about his, his work was not just winning people to Christ, but he also was wanting to do what? He was wanting to start churches. But to start churches, what do you have to do? You have to fill the Great Commission, which is to see them baptized, one to Christ, but then also to teach them everything that we've been commanded. We've got to disciple them. So Paul's thinking, I want to win people to Christ, I want to disciple them, and I want to raise them up to be leaders in this new church and movement. So Paul, through his business, had the chance to teach them how to actually live this out. He was discipling. So think about it. He's got brand new believers in his midst. They've never seen a real Christian in action. And it's not enough. Discipleship is not just truth transference. It's also life transference. So we have to tell people, but then we also have to show people. Okay? So it's not enough just to tell them. They had to see from Paul how to live a holy life in the midst of a pagan, immoral, godless culture. So over and over, Paul in the scriptures says things like here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally, brothers, we ask and we urge in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk. It's not just you receive from us these three truths. He's saying this is, you receive from me a way in which you should live your life and how to please God just as you're doing that so and more. He's saying, I want you to continue in this. This is something I showed you while I was with you. So his work was giving him a chance to show them in practical ways how to trust the Lord in the midst of real life. Um, you see here basically, you know, new followers of the way, new Christians, um, would not only have been able to see Paul interact with other believers, but they would have they would have been there in the shop with him. They were seeing Paul deal with all kinds of customers and vendors and government officials as well. And this is what new believers need to learn. We've got to bring people along with us if we're going to do the work of discipleship, faith in action. So Paul is modeling for them how to live out faith in the marketplace and how to do it with a gospel framework, how to do it with a biblical work ethic. He talks a ton, you guys, about work in the New Testament. And all of it's coming from his own experience and his own example in his work. Bond servants, obey in everything, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. When you work, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you receive inheritance. Do you think he could have said these kind of things if he hadn't himself been living out in these kind of things? He's urging them to embrace what, how he himself lived toward Christ. And he's giving them examples in himself and instructions out of that. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 8. With toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And what does he say? To give you what? And, a, and what? An example to follow. So he's saying, the, part of the reason I chose to do it this way is so that you could see it this way and you could follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ, he says in Corinthians 11, verse one. 
The gospel was transforming people. And you have people that were coming from all kinds of backgrounds, many of them very immoral backgrounds, and Paul was teaching them how to take their energy and redirect it toward Christ and toward good. So you've got people who are thieves and idlers and drunkards who are now being transformed by Christ, and they were actually becoming people who were dependable people, who were people who were providing for their family, and even more than that, people who were learning to give. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Paul says to the thief, don't steal, let him work. Do what I do. Look, learn the skill. I can teach you this. Come alongside of me and let me show you how to do this in a way that is positive in its contribution toward Christ and toward culture. He talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, if you don't, if you're able to work and you're not willing to work, in other words, you don't provide for your family, especially for your own household, you don't understand the faith. You've denied the faith. You're worse than an unbeliever. So imagine the impact that this is having. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six through 12, we command you uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus, keep away from those who are walking in idleness, who are not walking in accord with the tradition you receive from us. You know the way that I have worked. These hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. And everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we can help the weak. Paul's saying, one of the advantages I have had in working as a missionary is the opportunity to actually show you what it looks like to use my time with purpose. Yes, for Jesus, and so others might know him, but also for the opportunity to be self-sustaining and also contributing to those who have the most need. So from the start, what we see here, David, is that Paul's churches were able to become self-reproducing and self-supporting house churches because he was discipling in this way. And y'all, if you look at the world today, this is the kind of movement that we need. We need this kind of movement in the world where people are going in, winning people to Christ, discipling them in real life, and helping them to start churches that are self-supporting, self-sustaining, and multiplying, okay? This is a strategic advantage that you have. And my question to you is, have you, have you thought about it? Have you thought about the opportunity? I mean, do you know how many new believers there are in the world who just need to know how this stuff is lived out in real ways? And have you had thought about the opportunity you have through your job as a missional professional to not only win people to Christ, but also be a part of gospel movements by just living amidst of people who are yearning to see how is this supposed to be lived out and you can be a part of helping to make disciples and launch multiplying movements. Why would you not want to think about that as a pathway for your life as you live with the primary passion and purpose for Jesus, okay? So we're gonna land the plane here with our fifth and final strategic advantage. You know, Barrett, one of the other strategic advantages of that is when people come to Christ, Paul wanted them to remain in where they were and yeah. be sort of a beachhead into that community and his yeah. family. So we found that we don't want to take them out. You want them like whatever you're doing, or you have a job, you have a community, stay in it. Yeah. And that's how you see a movement. Yeah. So our fifth advantage, we are landing the plane, organic mobilization, leveraging our workforce for maximum global impact. Don't you love that? Sounds like a commercial. I think it is exciting. So we've looked, Barrett, at these advantages, sustainable legal presence, identify with all peoples, gospel credibility, model faith in real life. So this organic mobilization. So when was the church's first missionary team sent out? We look in Acts 13. And it starts out, it says, now there were in the church at Antioch, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menon, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, who's Paul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they went to Cyprus. So pretty quick here. I mean, this is a brief version of it, but it looks like, look how quickly and organically they were sent out. They were called and then they were gone. Now, what we see here, Paul's parents like, are we sending them out this afternoon? We can get you a ticket. No. What 
What you see here, and this is really interesting for you to understand. First of all, it was God who had called them. I always say to Barrett, there is mobilizing missionaries, but there is God on your life. When God sets you apart, when God speaks to your heart, okay, that was in person. There was no coercion. Please go. (laughs) It was God that pressed upon them. That was the first one. Secondly, they had already been ministering. They knew these guys, Barnabas and Saul. They were probably feeling, what a loss. These are some of our best guys. So they had already been ministering, and so they already knew that. And so they were, in, in that sense, we're always, as, you know, I always say to him, who are we looking for that we want to be sending out? People that are already engaging, showing initiative in ministry here. But the third thing we see is that they, ha- they already had funding. They didn't need to go, Paul and Barnabas, and would y'all like to raise, would y'all like to, who's willing to support them? It's going to take the next eight months, but Paul and Barnabas are raising funds. Isn't that interesting? Paul and Barnabas, we're out of here. What are you going to do? They already had jobs. They already had their vocation. So Paul was making tents back in Tarsus, right? And so when he came to Christ, he kept doing it. He simply took his job on the road. He was working remotely, you might say. Um, think of how easy it was for him to leave. He had a way to provide for himself. He actually provided for his team. It established himself in a community. He had a natural way to connect with people and to share the gospel. So as Barrett has asked y'all, I think last week, how many of y'all are working or are planning to work? Okay. Uh, Most of you are working in a profession or preparing to work. So the path is already cleared. This is where you're headed. So imagine for a moment, if you decided to make an intentional decision to do your profession overseas strategically choosing a place where there is less witness of Christ. Think of the organic mobilization of missional professionals we could see from this church, okay? And by the way, missional professionals aren't limited by support, as we just said. They have their own sort of built-in battery source, right? We can just send them out. Whenever I'm talking to people overseas that have jobs, I say, so how are things going for you? I've heard about some, all these missionaries that have been kicked out. Uh, yeah, I heard something about that. No, I just got my visa renewed, and I, I just got a renewal at my contract with my school or my hospital. And I'm like, and these guys are like hiding out and going to get kicked out. And these guys are like, no, just got back from a conference with coworkers. So it's an amazing, unique opportunity. And, and so you may say to yourself, well, David, I don't know if I'm ready for this cross-cultural living. Well, I'm just going to tell you, there are so many different kinds of places you can go. There are modern cities, the places where there are international schools for your kids. There are well-paying jobs. There are places with Christian communities. So you're thinking, oh, no, I'm, I'm going to go out in the desert. David wants to put me out in a hut somewhere. No, there are so many ways. Bottom line. Okay, here we are. Bottom line, Barrett. I'm going to land this plane. Missional professionals who embrace a work ministry integrated mindset can be sent out faster. They can fulfill an exciting vocational career overseas and have the privilege of putting themselves in a place to help finish the task of taking the gospel to all people. So Barrett, sometimes I wonder why we, I often, when people's if you had asked my kids or my wife and I when we were living there, you know, why do we have to plead with people? I can often say, I wish I could go back. And my wife and I might move back one day. Living and working and witnessing overseas was one of the most fulfilling, exciting experiences of my life. So sometimes we come at this, please, don't you want to go? Don't you see the needs? And there's another part of me that says, you guys are missing out. So that's why we're, we're telling you to look at it. Here's a challenge for missions. Go overseas because it's awesome. It's exciting, Barrett, to be out there, to experience these cultures and to be used by God in a place where there's very little witness. So that's, that's a challenge. Yeah. New content's done, and we're going to close. Um, I think this week has been really fun for us. Um, 
to be able to celebrate the work of God around the world, to celebrate the opportunities that God is opening. Um, but when you think about, you know, like, so ICC, there's not many churches that have, like, strong passion, maybe, for global missions. Um, all churches should. But I've heard through the years people say, you know, I just love ICC because we're, we're, they do missions. But it's we. <laughs> Who is the church? We are. And I think what we've been trying to say this week is, look, like, do you care? Like, where's your heart in all of this? Um, it's really, you can't commend what you don't cherish. So I think the first step is like, do you cherish the love of God and the grace of God in your life? And then if you do, like, that, that's going to be overflowing. Do you live with passion and purpose for his name? Do you see yourself first as one who's been redeemed and one who, who wants, like, in all of life to, like, live with a passion and a purpose? And then, like, are you just open? Like, are you open to living with that passion and that purpose, like, in places in the world where it's most needed? Do you think like a global Christian? Because we should. Our God is a global God. And all of us need to take another step to just consider like, how could I be helpful? How, how could I help people who are most in need, knowing that there are billions who have never heard of Jesus, how could I help get the gospel there? How could I help get churches planted there? Knowing there are billions who have so, so many complex problems. Like, are you just willing to like, think like, how could I help? God has given me so much, like I want my life to, to spill over in overflow. I want the peoples of the world to, to, to know Jesus and I, and I want to be a part of helping. And, and what we've been saying this week is for, the, for, for people to be reached into the future, it's gonna require thousands upon thousands of people who are missional professionals, who are willing to say, I'm, I'll lay my job down, I'll lay my career path down. Like, I'm gonna put this as an option when I graduate school. This is gonna be a legitimate option as much as anybody else that's recruiting me. Or maybe I'm willing to, to think about relocating because my company has an opportunity, or I'm willing to just think of a, a new trajectory because I see the need. Is God touching your heart? Are you open? Are you willing? That's where it begins. We know right now there's open doors. We know there's open doors. Um, the question is not, is there an opportunity for you? There is. <laughs> the question is, are you willing to be sent? Like Isaiah, here my Lord, send me. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful. But the laborers are few. Why do you think that is? Why are the laborers so few? And why do you think Jesus looks at us and says, would you pray that God would shake more people and send them into the harvest? Would you pray for more to be willing to go? And, and would you allow that prayer to start with you? Lord, here I am. Send me. So as we close this morning and our worship team comes, we just want to open a time of invitation. God has been ministering to us wonderfully. What a joy to be a part of a people, a church that you are part of. We are the church that is living with passion and purpose for Jesus. What a joy. Um, but right now in this moment, we want you to hear God's invitation to the joy to cherish him more. To, to be more yielded and surrendered, to experience this joy-filled life of living with passion and purpose, living with missional mindset. We want that for you. And we want for you to be willing right now um, to just say, Lord, here I am. Help me to know what it is that you want for me to do. I, I wanna help.
Lord, I'm yielded to you. So our prayer counselors are coming forward. The altar is open. Um, if you want to talk to any of us at any time, you're, you're, you're welcome. Um, if you do not know Christ today, I just want to encourage you and urge you to know that you have a God who loves you, who gave himself for you. Turn from sin, turn from yourself, turn to him. He lived, he died, he rose. The work is finished, grace is available. He can make you new. So let's spend time cherishing Jesus and surrendering to him, listening to his voice. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful. Lift up your eyes to the harvest. See how I'm working, it's plentiful. Oh, but the laborers are few. So would you pray? Would you surrender? Would you go? You're welcome to stand as we sing this closing song of response or come to the altar and pray. So it's a time of movement, movement of heart. It could be movement of your body coming forward. Move toward the Lord. He loves you. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.